Welcome to the Meaning and Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to review the book, The Montessori Toddler, answer a question from the community about toddlers getting out of bed, and our parenting deep dive for the day will be all things Montessori. We'll be delving into the practice, philosophy, and some common misconceptions. All that and much more on the Meaning and Motherhood Podcast. Our book this week is The Montessori Toddler by Simone Davies. I originally checked this book out of the library, but I loved it so much I decided to add it to my collection. It's a beautiful book with nice thick pages and sweet, simple illustrations. It includes discussion of the Montessori philosophy, lots of information on how to set up a Montessori space at home, and an age chart for activities that are appropriate at ages newborn to four years. It also offers a Montessori-style approach to many parenting challenges such as sharing, introducing new siblings, etc. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I recommend this one in paperback. It's inexpensive, about $11 on Amazon, and the nature of the content lends itself better to paper as you can flip back to reference any section as needed. Our question from the community is about children getting out of bed. I actually had two friends bring this up this week and I thought I would address this issue on the podcast. I certainly know that sleep is a major issue for me and many parents as my four-month-old is keeping me up and that's why I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat today. There's so much variation among children and parents as to what works for them that I'm not going to give tons of advice, but I'll give you a little bit of what I've gleaned from some of these books. There's some excellent books out there I've flipped through, such as The No Cry Sleep Solution for those struggling with this issue. Luckily, I haven't had too terrible of a time with it, so I haven't read everything there is to know. I think the main thing I recommend is consistency and staying calm. I got this from a channel I love on YouTube called The Hidden Gem. She's a mom of one, and she just had three new triplets, so now mom of four. She put a gate up at the door of her son's Montessori-style room. If he gets out of bed and comes to the gate calling for her, she just calmly walks up, takes him back to bed, and says, It's time to sleep now. It may be frustrating as you're repeating this over and over, and it seems like it's not working, but eventually it will sink in. Staying calm is the key so that the child does not keep trying to push your limits. Recently, a son's friend was afraid to sleep in his own bed and kept coming downstairs and crawling into her bed, which disrupted her sleep. Her solution was to have her dog sleep in the room with her son. That solution sounded great to me in the short run as long as the dog is okay with it. In the middle of the night, you need to get sleep and everyone is happy. I'm totally happy with that. However, the dog is kind of acting like a pacifier, and it would ultimately benefit the child to be able to sleep regardless of the dog being present. The last thing you want is the dog to be sick and spending the night at the vet, and on top of that, your son isn't sleeping. Again, I'll offer something from Hand in Hand Parenting. They have a tool called Stay Listening. It basically means if your child is having a tantrum, you set the limit, whatever is causing them to tantrum, and just calmly stay with them until they are feeling better. This allows them to let their feelings out and allows their rational brain to come back online. So with this method, you would decide to tackle the project, for example, of the son sleeping and you know trying to get the dog out of his room, uh, to tackle the project when you have some extra energy, knowing this will probably be uncomfortable and will take some time. You would set the limit by saying, you need to stay in your bed alone tonight. This might be enough to make your child cry. And then you just stay with them and keep repeating the phrase, helping them to bring up those feelings and get them all out. If your child calms down, great. And you can even, uh, if you have lots of time and energy, you can take a few steps back and repeat again. Uh, you're going to have to sleep alone tonight, etc. 
So you just keep repeating the process and letting them bring up feelings and tantrum. However, if you need to sort of shut it down and get to bed at that point, um, it's definitely possible just to do whatever it was that was working before. So maybe, um, you know, letting the dog sleep in their room or letting them sleep in your bed or whatever it is. As long as they've gotten some of those emotions out, it's a good step in the right direction. Then the next night, you can again repeat that process. So that might look like eventually, you know, you're sitting in the door of the room saying, I'm here for you. I'm not going to leave you while they're in their bed crying. And it's just a process of, you know, taking it as slow as they need to let those feelings out without totally overwhelming them. You're basically letting those feelings come out with as little trigger as possible. So if it all it takes is just saying you need to sleep alone in your room tonight, um, that's you know, great. And you can work with that, or it might be a little bit more and maybe you leave them for a few minutes or whatever it is. And then they start to cry. In any case, definitely check out hand in hand parenting. They're online. You'll definitely find them and they are excellent, excellent resource. Now it's time for our parenting deep dive for the day. All things Montessori. I'll start with a brief history. Maria Montessori was born in the late 1800s and became the first female medical doctor in Italy. She specialized in pediatrics and psychiatry and worked with children with disabilities. This led her to study child development and question traditional educational methods. Her methods worked so well for disabled children that she began to wonder what would happen if ordinary children were given the same opportunities. In 1907, the Italian government placed her in charge of 60 students from poor families, ranging in age from 1 to 6. She called the school the Casa dei Bambini, or Children's House. She took a very scientific approach to developing her method. She added or removed materials as she observed the children interacting with them. With very limited resources, she needed a method that would allow one teacher to oversee 60 children. Can you imagine? A key to this was the prepared environment, which made everything child size and accessible. This includes the famous low shelves as well as the single activities ranged on a tray. My initial introduction to Montessori principles was called Montessori, the Science Behind the Genius by Angeline Stoll Lillard. I was wandering the aisles of the library while I was pregnant and added this book to my pile. It was a good introduction because it addressed the principles rather than the popular practice of Montessori. It was a dense book, but maybe easier than just getting what I could from Instagram. This book talked about Montessori principles, such as no rewards or punishments, choice and perceived control as a mechanism of motivation, and the impact of movement on learning, which were all well studied. The problem this book posed in terms of assessing outcomes from Montessori schools is that there's a great variation in the way Montessori is practiced. Montessori isn't trademarked, so anyone can call their school a Montessori school, though adherence to true Montessori principles varies widely. Interestingly, schools where only Montessori materials were available had better outcomes than traditional schools, whereas schools with other supplies available, such as toys, dolls, or free-use art supplies, had poorer outcomes. Maria Montessori was observing children and modifying or adding her materials as she saw fit. She never really completed a full set curriculum because of this ever-changing process. However, there are many classic activities that are thought of as Montessori, such as threading, posting boxes, etc. It's often said that Montessori materials are natural materials, such as painted wooden toys. But a common misconception I see is that all wooden toys are Montessori. 
For example, it's common to see the Grimm's rainbow on an Instagram picture of low shelves, and they're calling this Montessori. But I would say more importantly than being made of natural materials is that Montessori activities focus on one specific skill, such as color discrimination. This week I was listening to Montessori's own handbook on Audible, and I was intrigued by an idea for a very simple and inexpensive activity, color sorting. She used spools of silk thread, but I think free paint swatches from Home Depot would work just as well. The full set includes two boxes, each containing eight shades of eight different colors. But you would start with only three or four different colors and no shades at all when the child is young and they're just learning this activity. You would show the child how to match pairs of colors, so yellow with yellow, blue with blue, etc. Once the child masters this, you can add more colors till you get to all eight. Once the child masters pairing all eight colors, you can put away all but one color and add all the shades of that color, for example, eight different shades of pink. It's recommended with shades to ask the child to find the darkest or the lightest from the assorted cards available, then the next darkest, so you'd go from darkest, pull that one out, then the next darkest, pull that one out. That's how you get into a nice sequence. That way they can easily sort them and it's not frustrating. Eventually, they would progress to sorting all 64 colors and shades into pairs of ascending shades. So you can see that this starts out as a small game and becomes increasingly difficult and more exciting. A comment I've seen on my Montessori Facebook group is that the Montessori toys look so boring. Yes, a xylophone sitting on a shelf or even a set of blocks with no real aim might be boring, but as you can see with this activity, it's more like a game and it gets harder as the child gets better at it. Your job as the parent would be to observe the child and make sure that only enough complexity exists with the available materials that your child can do the activity. It's challenging, but they're not getting frustrated. So if you put out all 64 colors at once, they're going to get frustrated and give up. But if you put out only just like three colors forever, they're going to get super bored. So this is a great activity that you can adjust and make it more challenging and that the child knows how to do this activity. And now they're learning how to do a little more difficult version of it. A similar activity could be made to sort and pair sandpaper by roughness to smoothness. She also suggested pairing different types of cloth. So like a really soft cotton versus like a rough cotton or a canvas or all the way to a fine silk. A less DIY option, but also equally cool is an exercise of pairing bells. I found a set of bells on Etsy from iFit Montessori, that's I-F-I-T Montessori on Etsy for about $180. So it's not super cheap, but I think it's really cool and might be something that I'll save up for. Uh, basically, she says a xylophone is not as good because you can visually see the differences in the length of bars, etc. So it's not as good when you just have like lengths of bars that look different because you're asking them to solely isolate the hearing sense just um, the sense of sound and being able to identify all the tone. So these sets of 16 bells are really cool. They look all identical, but they sound different. And so you would pair them um, ideally in the scale, like the musical scale. So it can be really an interesting activity. It should be said that when you're doing this, you are introducing the child to the activity, you would start them with the most extreme differences. So you'd start them with the finest sandpaper and the roughest sandpaper, or like the finest silk and the roughest canvas or whatever, or the most extreme colors. And then once they master that, then you can make it more difficult. All right, let's move on with some more interesting facts about Montessori. 
In Montessori schools, children can choose any activity to do at any given time, but they can't do anything they want at all with the material. The material is intended to target a specific skill, and the teacher must intervene when the children are misusing the material. So for example, if they're throwing things especially or damaging the material, but even if they're using the material for a purpose which it wasn't really intended for, then you can intervene and, and kind of show them the difference. This means you need to assess your child's needs and remove material that they're either not engaging with or that they haven't mastered. Um, there is a theory called schemas, which is basically saying that children go through a period where they're learning something very intensely, like for example, you know, transporting, so they're wanting to carry things in baskets or wanting to carry things. But I won't go into schemas too much at this time. The Hidden Gem has a great little video on YouTube on schemas, so if you want to check out The Hidden Gem, that's a great place to do that. As you can see from the paint swatches example, the Activities do not need to be expensive. They can be totally DIY or they can be really fine, you know, handmade wooden crafts, whatever your budget allows. The one thing you want to make sure is that the material is self-correcting, which means that the child can see when she's made a mistake. That way you don't have to arbitrate the activity. It's self-contained. Like for example, if you're buttoning up a sweater and at the end you are left with one button unbuttoned, you know you missed a button. Or like if the colors don't match and you've got, you know, um, you end up with, with one color that's like off on its own. We know we've made a mistake somewhere. So we want the material to be self-correcting. Montessori activities should be self-contained and satisfying to complete because they have a beginning, middle, and an end. Sometimes the end might just be replacing the items on a tray and putting the tray back on its shelf. But it's all about the process of beginning an activity, working with the materials, and then replacing the materials in the way that you left them. It's very satisfying to the child. It feeds into their need for order. Another great Montessori exercise is walking on a line. When I was listening to Montessori's own handbook, I was intrigued by her ideas for gymnastic activity as well. And her favorite, she said, that was indispensable was walking on a line. So that's just that simple. You can draw a line on the floor or with painter's tape and you first walk in front of them, showing them how to place their feet one foot in front of the other. Then once your child has mastered this, she suggests adding music and marching on the line, both inexpensive and fun. And it's really interesting because she said this was the way that children learned how to move gracefully. And her whole philosophy was about giving them positive activities to do and goals to do with their hands and their bodies so that they're not uh, just going on their impulses. So they're not just like throwing things around and having tantrums, but they have a focused activity that they're working on mastering. I will give you one little warning about Montessori. My mother-in-law is a retired kindergarten teacher and she disliked Montessori schools because the students were able to choose their activity. And sometimes they would say in her more conventional classroom, no, I don't want to do that right now. So it was harder for her to incorporate the Montessori students into her classroom, which may be a potential complaint you might get if you plan to send your kids to conventional kindergarten. But then again, I'm not concerned if a child is able to be more independent when they're younger and then learn how to work with a group a little bit later on. But anyway, that's your call. It's interesting that Montessori originally designed her program to be used in classrooms with large numbers of students, considering how many of us are now looking to implement her teachings in our homes. I imagine that's what many of us are doing. A major component of her style of learning was seeing other students, hopefully older students, doing an activity. The mixed age range was really important to her learning. While it's pretty difficult for us to recreate this large setting at home, 
we can model for our toddlers in a way that they can imitate. For example, carrying a tray, plate, or cup with two hands instead of one, because that's how a toddler would carry it. One major component of Montessori education is so-called practical life activities, such as setting a table, loading the dishwasher, pouring a glass of water, cleaning, dusting, etc. These are all things that we can implement at home and showing the activity step-by-step for our children slowly with little verbal explanation is really important. Having your kids help you out in practical life activities, even if you don't have time to put together Montessori activities for your child, is a great option. It does take patience and a lot of practice, but you can see awesome examples of little ones doing big tasks on YouTube. Some of my favorite channels are The Hidden Gem and Happa Family. That brings us nicely into our living idea for the day, a reading from Maria Montessori herself. This quote comes from page 58 of her book, The Discovery of the Child. Here she's talking about helping children too much or doing everything for them so that they remain helpless. She says, The danger of this servitude does not lie simply in the useless waste of life which leads to a state of helplessness, but also in the development of reactions which are marked by weakness or perversion. They may be compared with the outbreaks of a hysterical person or the compulsions of epileptics. Their actions are unrestrained. This lack of self-control develops as a parallel to helplessness. Anger often accompanies sloth. Let us imagine a skilled and prudent workman who is not only able to do his work perfectly, but is also able to give advice in a shop because of the calmness with which he manages everything. He will often be a peacemaker and will smile when others are angry. However, it would not surprise us in the least to discover that this same workman shouts at his wife if the soup is not good enough or is not ready on time. At home he is easily angered. There it is not he who is the skilled workman, but his wife who waits upon him and pities him. Such a one shows us how a man may be calm where he has power and overbearing where he is served. If he learned how to make soup, he might perhaps become perfect. I love the ending to that little segment. If he learned how to make soup, he might perhaps become perfect. Well, on that note, we'll leave Montessori and move on to our mother craft. Our mother craft for the week involves a couple of things. First of all, I'm trying to get my body in a little bit more shape because carrying around a four month old has left me with some uncomfortable sensations, let's say the least. I've got some back pain and I've got some numbness in my hands, which is bothering me and concerning me in the long run. My mother craft then was to take on a movement project. I have a wonderful teacher who now lives in El Salvador and she completed a movement series called Move With Me by Locomotion. Uh, it's by Milen Bergeron. And that's what I've been trying this week is just doing a little bit of those movement exercises. I am doing some stretching and there's a little bit of core work in there, um, a little bit like yoga, but not quite like a normal, typical yoga class. And it's totally free and she leads you through it. And it's been a good workout for me and also a good challenge, hopefully, which will lead me to feeling better in my body. I've also been taking to go on more walks with baby. 
I need to adjust this because right now I've been going in the afternoon, but it's starting to get too hot in the afternoon to have a baby in your carrier against your body while you're <laughs> walking and sweating. So I've been trying to get through my audiobook library of all the books that I was so excited to buy and didn't quite get through. So I'm working through my audiobook library and going on walks with the baby. I've also been working on cooking a lot with gravies and sauces. We've been trying to reduce our food bill a bit and in so doing we've been using a little more grains so more pasta and more rice and to make them helpful we've been making gravies from you know bone broth and butter and all those things so basically anything with a roux i'm now a master at so i've been doing uh, stir fry sauces teriyaki sauces i've been doing um just regular old gravies and we had some really nice like salmon cakes with gravy and rice and uh, other sauces if you don't know how to make a roux, it's super easy. You just add butter and equal parts butter and you just add equal parts butter and flour and then you let it like uh, simmer a bit until it's bubbling and then you add it to whatever you want to make a sauce with. So you can add in your stock and then all your seasonings and you've got different sauces. So it's really super easy. Um, you can also use cassava flour if you are not a fan of gluten, which is also a really nice option. It adds a kind of a silky texture and I really like that, but it's a little more expensive. So right now we're sticking with regular old flour. That brings us to our final segment for the day, which is stuff I like, stuff I like, stuff I like, stuff I like. My stuff I like for this week is Setting the Spark podcast. It's a homeschooling podcast based here out of Atlanta and the girls are super fun and really informative. I've just found it a really nice thing to have on. It's very upbeat and very pleasant and I'm learning lots from it. I'm also uh, re-watching the show Community on Netflix and also Jane the Virgin. I haven't found anything really compelling and new that I want to watch right now, especially since I'm trying to avoid like anything too dark or grim. So we're just re-watching all of our favorite comedies. In case you like goofy comedies, there's some great ones out there. We're a big fan of Superstore, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, as I mentioned, Community, The Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. Oh my gosh, they go on forever. Um, my husband and I really like those silly comedies. So those are good ones if you're stuck at home and need something to watch. Well, that's all we have for today. Please go ahead and subscribe to this channel. If you liked this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. Also, send in your questions to my Instagram, which is meaninginmotherhood on Instagram. And I would love to hear all your questions for the week and anything else you want to tell me about the podcast. It's been great being with you today, and I will see you next week on the Meaning in Motherhood podcast.